so welcome to Sanity Check, a podcast devoted to staying informed and sane in the time of Trump. I am Ben, and I am joined tonight by Mike and Andrew. Hey. Uh, we are recording on the evening of Wednesday, January 10th, 2018, um, uh, as we approach the one-year uh, anniversary, if you will, of the Trumpocracy. Uh, today is officially day 355 of the resistance. If you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, at the Google Play Store, or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. So um, I, I want to get into um, uh, who I think is a huge asshole um, at That's, the moment. I'm, I'm deeply ambivalent about this as an opening for the show. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Ben's two-hour special of who's an asshole. It, it is yeah, definitely separately. Su- Susan Collins is a huge asshole. That's who. Now I'm interested to find out what distinguished her this week. <laughs> it wasn't really this week. It's it's been okay. a little while since we've recorded, so I I've been saving up my the hot topical. News I've been saving up my ire. November 2017. <laughs> Which I just feel like she is such a bullshit artist. Like completely without any dignity. I mean, uh, friend of the pod, sell out. You know, non-friend of the pod. I mean, it just. Uh, it, I'm. Can you give some specifics? She, I mean, it sounds like you have strong feelings on the on the matter, but like. Well, I'm not going to go into it in great great detail for the no, sake of I time, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what people tune in for is to hear you talk about your non-specific feelings about politicians. Right. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a good radio. Um, no, but the, the fact that she voted for that tax bill um, after exacting health care promises that could not be kept, were not kept. Uh, and that she knew would never be and kept. And that she knew time, right, yeah. uh, would never be kept. It was just maddening. The fact that she didn't think it was like a big deal to wait for Doug Jones to be seated before voting on all of this shit. Um, when she was one of the people who was a strong proponent of um, waiting for Scott Brown to be seated, um, you know, 10 years ago when Obamacare was being voted on, also drove me crazy. Um, I just, like, what what is the point of her um, if, if she is going to be as soulless and pathetic and toady as the rest of them? So you're not it's not helping you with that she said she'd vote to reinstate net neutrality? No, cuz I don't believe her. I mean, she also said that she wouldn't vote for um stuff that would uh hurt the health care of poor people and she voted for the tax bill which removed the individual mandate which is going to uh, massively hurt poor and sick people. She didn't insist that chip be funded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's why Why should I believe her about anything? It's weird to do a feature called the Asshole of the Week and have it not be Trump every week. <laughs> well, that's just too easy. It should be the non-Trump Asshole of the Week. No, it's, it seems like yeah. it's, like, correct. Like, we should call it the non... Yeah. <laughs> the upper-class twit of the year. We should do that. Right. Yeah, yeah like we that. should do that. <laughs> So, right. so you're mad at Susan Collins? I'm mad, yeah, I'm mad at Susan Collins. I'm 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 also mad at uh, Lindsey Graham for. Um, I'm worried for Lindsey Graham. I mean, I they must have something on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we all. Because it's like he went to the golf course and then like what Trump said or did something and he's like, oh yeah, you're the you're the greatest. You're big and strong. You're the you're the decider and the president and. 
Um, or, I mean, like, you know, Bob Corker. I mean, not that I ever expected anything out of him. I think him. Bob Corker is a bigger asshole than Susan Collins. Yeah, but, like, you know, he, I will not vote for anything that will raise the deficit one dime. You oh, know except for this thing that will raise it $1.5 trillion. You know, if you, I, can't, I know you never believed that any Republican not. would resist a tax cut. So I don't know. Well, that's why I am madder at Susan Collins, because I thought that she might... She's a might... Republican. She's got yeah. the R next to her name. But I thought she might be show some human decency when eh, it came to eh. sick poor people. That might be on you. <laughs> yeah, it might be. I, 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 I've, uh, you know, fooled just... me the 9,000th time. Yeah. Um, it would be, I would feel more comfortable well. if there were more Democrats, and then we wouldn't have to... Right. So, which segues us into just... I mean, a lot of stuff has happened since we last talked, and uh, as as you just alluded to, and as I alluded to earlier, we we had a an unexpected win in the Alabama special election, so that was fun. I did enjoy that. Yeah, that, that was good. I one. liked it too until I read an analysis on the Princeton Election Consortium website that pointed out that, like, on the one hand, it's great that a Democrat won in Alabama, but on the other hand, it is a really powerful example of the strong partisanship how many votes Roy Moore won because he's yeah. sort of the worst candidate possible you can imagine in Alabama where he's anyway. like you know credibly accused of multiple incidences incidences Jesus instance of sexual harassment and assault and abuse and he's like a monstrous racist and anti-Semite. Like he was a very unpopular figure already. Yeah, like pretty much hated by a very large proportion of the Alabama voter base. Not even getting into the national voter base. And he came extremely close to winning. I mean, it was a close election. It was twenty thousand votes. Yeah, was the margin. So I guess there's just two ways of looking at it. And at first, I was very excited, but then. Well, but it's not a new development. It's just revealing something that was there. Yeah, already. it's just a really powerful I, example. Yeah, I, I think that you can, you can choose how you want to view it. On the flip side, I think it's still exciting that Doug Jones won. It 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 showed that um, the election trends that we have seen uh, previously in 2017 are still holding, and in fact, possibly growing. Um, I think it it showed a um, uh, a pathway to winning in November 2018 in terms of getting out the Democratic vote this um, November. It, yeah, this November. Vote. Do it. Eleven months. Um, wait for our three-hour um, midterm election special. Um, I mean, the I, I I was really happy for Doug Jones, uh, who was a very good candidate. Um, by himself, and I was particularly happy for his campaign manager Joe Trippi, um, who is a longtime very progressive Democratic operative and has like never won anything. He's basically a big loser. <laughs> yeah, you said longtime progressive operative. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> he he was probably most famous for being Howard Dean's campaign manager um, in two thousand four. I still think Howard Dean was would have been a good candidate. Um, but he, Joe Trippi did a fabulous job of collaborating with, in particular, the NAACP in turning out the African-American vote in Alabama. And, um, I mean, the, uh, the, the fact that uh, Democrats turned out like 95% of their presidential year vote 
in an off year, a special election, uh, I thought was it's extremely remarkable. impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's the other side of what I was saying, too, is I think people came out to vote against more. Like, people were like, hell no, we're not doing, we're not having this guy be the senator from Alabama. You know, so to the, even yeah. though I was complaining about all the people who voted for him, I think he also aw- awakened a bunch of voters to vote against him. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the other fun thing about that race Trump was effect. that with the vote as it came in, um, if you looked at the Alabama congressional districts, um, the results from that point of view would have led to six Republicans and one Democratic yes. representative. So he won, Doug Jones won the statewide election, but because of the way the state is gerrymandered, I thought that was a really interesting data point too. Uh, well, that segues into some some good news um, that happened yesterday. Yeah, I which, did this. Uh, on, I did that on purpose for sure. <laughs> yeah. Which Andrew just um, uh, called Blurred out, out, which is uh, that the um, the state supreme court in North Carolina struck down um, as unconstitutional the gerrymandered congressional districts uh, in all of North Carolina. I believe this is the first time that. Um, all of the congressional districts in a state have been deemed unconstitutional for gerrymandering. I think it was also the first time that a gerrymander was struck down f- specifically for partisan impact. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's a, it's a pretty big deal. Um, obviously, this will get appealed, um, and it will probably be affected by whatever the the Supreme Court decides on the Wisconsin case that they've already heard. Um, but there. Gerrymandering is very much bullshit. Bullshit, and yeah, and and it's not doing well in courts recently. Five Thirty Eight has been doing an interesting series on gerrymandering. Um, This series of of episodes of their podcast um, they call the Gerrymandering Project, and I feel like I'm I'm learning a lot. But everything I learn about gerrymandering makes it more complicated because it, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm an expert on it, but it seems like there's no good way to design congressional, like however you end up doing it, there's going to be a failure to sort of perfectly reflect the intent of each community and each voter. Um, You know, and they were talking about like, uh, you can have requirements to have competitive districts, i.e. districts where you would expect the voting to be within a 10% window you know, like 45 to 55 or closer. Um, So you can do that, except then you end up making weirdly gerrymandered districts. Because, you know, the problem is Democrats and Republicans have started to self-sort. Sure. And Democrats like to live in these very dense pockets of urban space, which then it's hard to draw a map. So I, I, the more I think about gerrymandering, the more I think we just should go to like a, state or nation-based proportional representation system. It's like we were talking about with Alabama, right? Like, I'm sure any way you draw districts in Alabama, you're going to end up with deviations from a sort of perfect reflection of the votes. Unless you just said, you know, we'll do proportional representation based on the total statewide vote count. And Alabama is not, you know, that could be any state. Yeah. Again, I would say everything that you said is absolutely true. We're I vibing. Prob- I think, it, and, and I agree that we should move towards a 
more proportional system and we, we have long overdue voting reform uh, it's one of these things where the as i say college, i'm like cetera, we're never doing this um in the meantime i think we could at least um agree that uh it shouldn't be legal to so baldly gerrymander in one direction no i totally agree with that and i think <laughs> yeah. it's a good thing for the courts to strike you know they have the ability the thing that's changed with gerrymandering is the fineness of the tools that they can use now you know mm -hmm. they can put in decades and decades of voter and data history analysis. and they can put in the maps and then tell the computer you know generate uh, whatever generate districts that'll never vote democrat or generate they can ask people. uncle vladdy what he wants they don't even need to ask him they they can just mathematically create districts that will always have a certain outcome um and that is that's what's new versus a hundred years ago that's the only thing that's new but it's revealing this big flaw that it's possible to have undemocratic well you know well, another I, great example of this was that virginia state house race that got decided by yeah. the flip of a coin yeah well, it wasn't even the flip of a coin it was them pulling a piece of paper out of like an old film canister it that did they seem put in like a, a very busy procedure <laughs> it was like you could <laughs> just flip a coin and she talked about the provenance of the film canisters like she was like we ordered these from amazon and i was like okay yeah thank you <laughs> Just okay. make sure the guy who pulls the who yanks one out of the bowl is not a magician. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> right, and I mean, and, and there again, you, you had um, a, a situation where statewide um, the Democrats uh, won the governor race, just like yeah. you're saying. But then we ended up with the state house in Republican control, and that just doesn't make any sense. It's Even like, with a huge number of Democratic pickups. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that you know, the huge number of Democratic pickups is the part that is accurately reflecting what people voted for but the fact that the republicans now still control the state house even though they lost the statewide vote that's stupid right i mean you you we well all you have to do is look at the the 2016 national election i mean no, thank you there are millions more people voted for uh uh, Democrats than Republicans. Yeah, but that was just people from New Hampshire that got bussed into California. Or, I forget what it is. What is it? Someone got bussed. Massachusetts, <laughs> Massachusetts to um, New Hampshire. I think. <laughs> sure. Um, we'll get friend of the pod. Um, uh, what's his, what's that guy's name? The Kansas Secretary of State. Crazy Chris Eddie. Kobach. Oh, Chris Kobach. Chris Kobach. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the TV guy from before. Head of the no, Crazy Eddie. Head of, head of prison, the, the commission that found things that were so unlike what they wanted to find that they just shut it all down. I don't even think they found and anything. And threw everything yet. out. I think the state, yeah, Chris Kobach's um, well, voter We don't know what they found. They didn't find anything. This, they asked the states for all this very intrusive data that they could have done a bunch of bad stuff with. And, and most states of the states said no. Yeah. No. And then they threw a fit and closed the committee. They were like, the states are so mean. And they closed the commission. Well, they did have something because one of their own members who was a Democrat had to sue his own group in order to get access to, to, the, to the papers. Yeah. This commission's on the up and up is what you're saying. Definitely. Yeah. They're the good guys. Definitely. <laughs> they, we should put them in charge of the census. Oh, yeah. Big oh, time. No, someone already has. Um that's good. I was tired of black people having their will reflected in the that, national politics. That, of course, is one of, the re happened. one of the many reasons why the 2018 midterm is so important is that 
the local races and the government, the uh, governor races are going to determine who is in charge of um, redistricting uh, after the 2020. We can file all this under like substantial flaws in our democratic process that are getting revealed very obviously. You know, like the fact that we have to scramble to make sure that the Republicans don't just like permanently entrench themselves as a group in power that can't be voted out. That's not that shouldn't even be a possibility. No. It's true. I, I and like, probably would have just happened quietly under President Clinton if allowed to happen. I disagree with that. And also I mean, it already I, did happen quietly in two thousand ten. Well that's what I'm saying. Like it, it already did happen quietly and like well, except it wasn't if, people were if quiet things about didn't it. become so obvious then we wouldn't be so up and Oh, is that, are we doing Heighten the Contradictions? I just realized what we're doing. Yeah, we are. I mean, oh, I, I, I love Heighten the Contradictions. It always I think there, I think there was really plenty of talk about it. It was it was that people they were, they were lulled into a, a, a false sense of complacency because at least President Obama was around well, that, that's to, to make sure thing. that nothing doing, too terrible happened. I'm doing a lot of 538 shout-outs, but they also had a fun chart of um, the midterm turnout advantage that Republicans enjoy. Huge, huge. And... Um, how it's Huge. partisan. How the, the party of the president has a really noticeable impact. So when a Democrat is president, it's like all the Democrats in the world are just like, yeah, it's, it's fine. We don't need to worry about it. Right. But when a Republican is president, it actually disappears, the turnout advantage. Which is... Does that... So the... I feel like the Democrats have sort of... I My impression had been that the Democrats had been like neglecting state and local offices and not had, running candidates, and that's why it was all Republicans. But maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's that we just don't go and vote, and therefore they have a combination. They, well, I mean, people don't want to run for a race that they're sure they'll lose. So right. there's a there's a relationship there, you know. If and which we're also seeing this year, where Democratic candidates are appearing. And in that Virginia statewide race, too, candidates ran in places where a Democrat <laughs> and Republican hadn't run candidates in are years. retiring. Well, yes, and there a lot are of Republicans are retiring. Already, um, super record numbers of uh, Democratic candidates who are setting up to run in uh, this upcoming November, like way, way more than ever before, and particularly women and candidates of color and and so on, which is all a great thing. Yeah, which is great, you know. But but I think, I mean. Andrew, it's definitely a fact that Democrats have not fielded good candidates in every race that they could have. I mean, that's just what happened. And I guess I'm just asking the chicken and egg question. Like, I, I don't know which... Well, I mean, a lot of people blame the DNC for stuff like this because the DNC yeah. distributes funding based on whether they think it's possible that you'll win, which has the practical effect of abandoning a lot of races in red air, you know, right. which I see from their point of view, if they have a hundred thousand dollars and they can, there's a race that is like, there's a 40% chance of them winning versus a 5% chance. I see the argument for putting the money where you, that has some plausible impact. Well, and people are punishing the DNC with their pocketbooks. So the DNC is not, everybody hates the DNC. Right. So the, 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 the Democrats are raising records amount record amounts of money, but the DNC isn't raising squat. That's like fine. All, all of the money is going to like the DCCC and <laughs> Fuck to the DNC. You heard about how they paid some consultant and, like and so two million dollars for no for like nothing. Yeah, yeah. Fuck them. Like, one of the more positive pieces of news in the last week was this uh, billionaire Tom Steyer, who's been the 
We've been running these impeachment commercials. Um, Hi, I'm Tom Steyer, and I'm very serious and important. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he, guy, he's right? been the the biggest single um, individual political donor in the last 10, 15 years, I think. Um, but he, he he just pledged thirty million dollars to go to be distributed among um, uh, competitive house races. This guy's a real um, Jim John Kerry. Jim Kerry, good lord, <laughs> he's sort of a Jim Kerry, but he's more a John Kerry. Maybe if you combine them, like a that woo-hoo. I don't know what you get, but it could it, that guy could win the presidency. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, they sort of they shore up each other's. Unless weaknesses. he got Jim Kerry's policy initiatives and. John Kerry's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's sense a good point. You'd want to mix them in, a, in an inform. Yeah, John, the charisma, the charisma of John Kerry with the political acumen of Jim Kerry. <laughs> Did I do it wrong? Did I, do I need to go back? And so, do if, that? if we got his political acumen, we might get a character similar to the one portrayed in Michael Wolff's new book, Fire and Fury. Oh my God! <laughs> Are we doing the labored nice. segue portion of the episode? <laughs> published by Hachette Books. Available Great, at, at bookstores everywhere. Yeah, they're a, they're a sponsor, right? <laughs> yeah. So, step uh, into the White House and Steve Bannon unfolds his opinions all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys taken a look Aren't at this it. at all? I, I haven't read couple, the book, but I've... I, I mean, saw a couple sentences posted. I'm about a quarter of the way through it. I, it's, it looks unreadable to me. Michael Wolf like, is a sleazy gossip columnist. Oh, totally. Very much so, and the... He's my like take, lied before about stuff. My take from the first quarter of the book is that um, there's um, very little here that's new. Trump is a crazy moron. We right, I know like, I've we, known, I knew that already. We knew that already. Um, I mean, I, I I do think that uh, there's a, a conversation to be had about um, access journalism uh, and whether or not the National White House correspondents and so on um, have been kind of soft-pedaling certain things in order to keep their own access. You're saying this is a vision where Michael Wolff is telling us the real story of how this guy's a total deranged lunatic, and then meanwhile the White House press corps has been like, oh, he's got some eccentric uh, views because like, they don't want to say he's a crazy moron. Cause I was thinking more about when they write things about how he's like removed the aloofness from the presidency. Oh well, that's the New York Times, which continues to lose its mind in a way that I don't really understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, to, they're to like, the Maggie point where... Hickerman is great, and our coverage yeah. of Hillary Clinton was totally flawless. Get the fuck out of here. Like, You don't understand yeah. how journalism is so serious and important, and Donald Trump's not aloof, and we didn't like Obama. Margaret Sullivan wrote a a terrific piece in the Washington Post last week. Which is like the knife in the back. Yeah, where, where, you know, former public editor of the New York Times, where she tried to explain um, why what the New York Times is doing is so bad and why it makes liberals so angry. It's it's confusing because there seems, it seems like there would be no reason for them, like, why are they doing this? She chalked it up mostly to a combination of hubris and defensiveness and like an inability to admit that they do anything wrong. And so they've I mean, just doubled down. Right. 
um, basically. They did something very wrong. Remember that time they published a news story where they were like, Donald Trump is not under any investigation uh, by the FBI, and he's a great man with big, huge hands. Yeah, and a so giant it turns bun. out that not only is that not true, but the... Um, they knew it was not true. <laughs> they knew it was not true, and the lie that the Republicans have been really pushing in recent months as they uh, um, start the process of trying to remove um, Bob Mueller... Um, which is that this all the FBI only is investigating because of this uh, Steele dossier. Um, it turns out that that wasn't true either. There was already an FBI investigation no, from going the on. Which, so this which we knew from before hooks. the election, because uh, because well, but we we Obama found out been telling fairly us recently some more specifics on that that this uh, George Papadopoulos character who was not really a coffee boy. Um, He's a coffee man. Um, got really drunk in a bar and started talking to the Australian ambassador. It's so and, professional. And telling him about hey, how... Hey, guess what? We're going to win the election because... Because the Russians on. have all this dirt. We're going to win because the Russians are going to... They stole Hillary's emails and they're going to help us out. And the, the Australian's like, interesting. And it turns out the Australian <laughs> was, was a much more patriotic American than the American. Australian, you can always count on Australian. And so he called the FBI. Not if you're like an Aborigine, but like for us. Right. So so we are, that was a, this is a lot, we were speeding through the agenda here. So we hit, Mike, we, had, we hit Fire and Fury, and now should we do Steel Dossier, Diane Feinstein? Well, right, so uh, Fusion GPS, which is the firm that um, hired Christopher Steele to do um, the dossier originally uh, paid for by some conservative sources and then eventually... Well, they do opposition research. So during yeah. the Republican primary, some Republicans were interested in oppo research on Trump. and then Washington Free Beacon, I, I yeah. believe, was the... Uh, I thought it was Washington Free Bacon. That sounded yeah. better. Yeah, oh, that, that, sound, that sounds tastier. Um, and uh, uh, so Fusion GPS was called in to testify in front of various committees, and um, in this case, we're, we're talking about the Senate Judiciary Committee, and uh, Chuck Grassley, the chairman, had said that he was going to release the transcript. Well, they testified and, in a closed session, right, Cause, so they could discuss security Well, matters. to be fair, uh, Grassley originally wanted them to testify in an open televised hearing, and the Fusion GPS people refused. Interesting. Um, because they said that they wanted to discuss things that they didn't think were appropriate for an open hearing. Fair enough. Um, but Ch Grassley said that he was going to release the transcript. He saw no reason. And people kept on asking him to do it. And he kept on coming up with reasons not to do it. Um, and well, because he was like, this would make us yeah. look terrible. And Fusion <laughs> GPS wrote an op-ed yeah. in the New York Times um, a couple weeks ago calling for the release of their own transcripts. Instead um, of summarizing what they said. What right. does this GPS stand for? I don't really know. Fusion. Maybe, is it the Glenn Simpson? Is it his initials? I don't know. Um, this is not an interesting avenue to take our um, conversation. In any case, <laughs> uh, yesterday, Diane Feinstein, the, the ranking Democratic member of the committee, just decided she was going to release the transcripts. And she put it on her official um, congressional website. I, I'm not really sure exactly how that works or if it was, like, legal or anything. Senators, but... what are they going to do? I, I don't actually know if it's legal either, but I'm sure that she thought about it. Oh, I'm sure she did. Um, and, and she did it. 
I mean, um, I feel like Senator. She's a senator. She's the people of California. It's like if the people of California want to release the transcript. I, I feel like I read that she did it in with the blessing of other Democrats. Ooh. So like <laughs> other Democrats, yeah. Oh, but who cares? No, but I mean, sure. Well, I mean, she didn't just act on her own. She was like, "Is this a good idea?" And but she's like, not in charge yes, of the you committee. Do this. So I think. But who no. cares? I mean, it's it's good yeah. to know about it. Yeah, and I, mean, I, I have no idea. I, there's a bunch, you know, the more. the Bernie people really hate Diane Feinstein. They do. So this is interesting in that regard. But the more yeah. interesting part is what the transcript reveals, because as you were saying, yeah, the, the storyline has been, you know, oh, crooked Hillary bought this opposition research and then convinced the FBI to open this bogus investigation this based on. on the dossier, yeah. and it's all it's all made up. And so in the transcript, they mentioned that Christopher Steele, who was the guy writing the dossier, doing the He was a very research, legitimate guy. He's a MI, former MI6 yeah. agent with background in Russia, which is why he was doing it. He's not like a Russian music manager. He became concerned <laughs> that what he was finding suggested something bad could be going on. So he went to the FBI, and basically the FBI was like, oh, yeah, we heard all that from this Australian guy. So well, it's it's unclear who they heard it from. So oh, the, right. the Fusion GPS guy, <laughs> it was it was the Australian said guy. that he uh, he had been told that it, it was um, an inside source inside the the Trump campaign, a whistleblower, there like are, a source down under, right? If you right? will, if you will, like um, uh, Australian. <laughs> there is some suggestion that that may have actually been this Australian ambassador. It's not entirely clear. So but the point is, it wasn't like it wasn't at all this way the Republicans were accusing the different players of behaving. It was, in fact, that Christopher Steele yeah. became concerned out of his worries about America, and so he was like, "Well, I better tell the FBI about this. This is concerning." And then they were like, "Yeah, we've heard a lot of people have told us about how Trump's super crooked and messed up." Yeah, the Fusion GPS guys also testified that uh, at least one of Christopher Steele's Russian sources was has killed. been killed. Yeah. Um, already. Well, don't you remember right after Trump won that election, there was a rash of like yeah. Russian people getting killed? Yeah. I don't remember how many there were. And, and arrested. And yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear to me anyway, and I'm not an expert, but I mean, it sure seemed like a lot of people dying at a coincidental time. I mean, the, the main takeaways of the transcript to me are A, the dossier is not at all a witch hunt as uh, Trump likes to call it, and seems to have been an entirely legitimate and well-sourced and reasonable well, We um, don't document. know if it's true, but that, it, it that certainly doesn't seem know. to have been put together through some bad faith. It seems like this guy did research, and this is what he, his findings were. And he was a he was well positioned to do that research. And then didn't he stop talking to the FBI when that New York Times story came out because yes. he became concerned that they were so they were in the bag for Trump. Yeah, that they were in the bag for. Trump. I think they were in the bag for Trump. Um. Uh, also, I think it should be pointed out that nothing in that dossier, literally nothing, has been disproven. Nothing has anything to do with Hillary Clinton either. That that is also true. Um, Meanwhile, and then Trump the, went on the, TV and said that Russia right. should hack Hillary's emails. The so other big takeaway is that the FBI was already investigating, and this the the dossier was really just corroboration. Here's a fun tip: if you're planning to collude with a foreign government, maybe don't tell the Australians about it over beers. Yeah, I mean Foster's is George. good stuff, but but uh, everything's upside did... down, so he was confused. How did Papadopoulos not get picked up, like, right away? 
The question I, I have is like, how did you I get fired? Like I mean, we don't know exactly what when the FBI started. That's another point. Then maybe they already had Pop turned Papadopoulos because he was cooperating for a while. We we don't know when or if they started surveilling him, yeah. um, et cetera, et cetera. We we don't know exactly. I mean, we know that he was turned after his FBI interview where they confronted him with lying to them. They're like, I'm going to tell you some things that we have evidence of and just just stop when you're ready to do whatever we tell you. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we don't know the, the whole story there and we, and we may never, but... Um, he seems like a dummy. He makes... Car well, no, Carter Page still seems dumber than George But, it, I mean, it, it's also become clear that Papadopoulos was not nearly as much of a, a coffee boy as Donald Trump Jr. likes to uh, refer to him. You know, he was making um, final changes to Donald Trump's policy speeches. Are you saying and, we can't trust Don Jr.? Yeah, I mean, and he was pretty heavily involved in um, in platform stuff at the at the RNC and setting up direct meetings with guys like um, LCC in Egypt with uh, with Trump and so on. So he was he was a, a real player. I don't know why, but he was. I know why. It's because they all the real authorities in the Republican world of foreign policy wanted nothing to do with the Trump campaign. And many of them had also said things on the record that made Trump not want to hire them. Like they'd been, they would be like, this guy's a total idiot. So what? their pool of people they could hire for foreign policy, there was like nobody. Well, you're forgetting about noted, highly competent former national security advisor, uh, Michael Flynn. Michael he was Flynn. a great f NSA for uh, three Russia. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like and best, uh, best asset. He's like a voluntary and unrecruited asset. <laughs> he was yeah, he unlike Paul Man, unlike Paul Manafort, who it seems pretty clear was was, thoroughly... uh, was pretty recruited. Poor Paul. I hope he's doing all right. <laughs> um, so wait, I wanted to find out though. What have you thought about the response after Grassley's mad at Feinstein, but Cornyn thinks that it was a good thing that she did? What have you thought about that? Uh, it's. It's confusing. I mean, Grassley is a weird guy. Uh, he's like, oh, maybe we won't call in Jared Kushner and be mean to him now. And I mean, it's like a, very clearly you weren't going to be. Yeah, right. I mean, poor Jared, right? Who's paying um, attention to the congressional investigations anymore anyway? Yeah, I mean, I I, it, it, they've become kind of irrelevant. Um, we, we also had a release today from the... Uh, the Democrat, the Democrats on the Senate Intelligence Committee, who are so frustrated with the lack of investigation by their Republican counterparts that they released a purely partisan report, um, which was uh, it, it didn't really touch on on the investigation exactly, um, but on their overarching concerns um, about Russian election meddling, uh, the fact that Republicans don't seem to be taking it seriously, don't seem to even really be admitting that it happened, and certainly aren't doing anything to mitigate it happening again uh, in upcoming elections, which seems like a likely thing and a uh, big potential problem. 
Um, and so, uh, so they released this, uh, this report today on their own. So I, yeah, as Andrew said, I think the, uh, the congressional investigations are pretty much a joke at this point and we're down. They're totally to, a uh, joke. I mean, ever since the Devin Nunes affair, I've been pretty <laughs> sure that it was, they began. were like, yeah. for show. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we saw that last prize. week, uh, Devin Nunes was back when he, um, when he was like, yeah, I want all of the, um, the classified FBI interviews um, that that Bob Mueller has done, um, so that I can hand them straight over to Trump, and um, and Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray, the FBI director, were like, eh, you know, maybe that's not such a great idea, and so they went to go talk to Paul Ryan and try to get him to. And Paul Ryan was like, "How dare you impugn my dear friend Devin Nunes? Hand this shit over." Yeah, tell we got to help Trump not get put in jail. I mean, no, I you mean, you think that. anything they learn in there is going to help him not get put in jail? I think probably what's going to happen is that Mueller is going to say he did obstruction of justice and then McConnell and Ryan will yawn and then nothing will happen. I actually I had an interesting conversation um, with some constitutional uh, law professors. I have trouble believing that, but go on. <laughs> uh, I, maybe not invigorating, but interesting. Uh, I was I was just asking them their opinion on whether or not a sitting president can be indicted for obstruction of justice, because um, that seems to be like a really open question. Um, and uh, you know, these are not super conservative guys, um, but the, their general consensus was they weren't quite sure, but they. They felt that while it wasn't a totally settled matter of law, the answer was probably the president cannot. And um, the best that one could hope for would be what happened with Richard Nixon, where the president is named as an unindicted co-conspirator. Um, they were more sanguine on the possibility of a sitting president being indicted for um, financial-related crimes. Uh, I don't think that... Trump has to worry about that. He seems like he's always played it pretty clean. Yeah, yeah. He's really on the up and up on the. Because uh... the the issue with the obstruction of justice stuff, of course, is the um, is it gets into the president's like leeway to perform executive duties. Um, he doesn't that do stuff... that anyway. Well, the... no, he takes a lot of executive time. We we learned about that um, uh, this past week. Um, he's most of his day is called executive time, which where he sits in the in the break room, off of the Oval Office, or uh, in the residence. I mean, to be or, fair, well, that that's not that that's not part of his official day. His executive time. <laughs> Andrew, did you hear about the executive time? <laughs> I didn't. I'm learning now. So he apparently starts his day he at around 11:30, screaming that, at the television <laughs> in the morning and eating McDonald's. During yes. his executive time, but he used to start. He, uh, didn't he? Doesn't he start tweeting at like five or six in the morning? No, right. So he's like watching TV like for time for five or six hours before he gets up. Yes. And... So he, nice. he he doesn't sleep much because he's w- too busy watching TV and screaming and tweeting. Um, but his official day, which has to be you know written down and released to the public, like what the president did that day, um, starts at around eleven thirty a.m. When he is he against his will, he's forced to listen to a thirty-second intelligence briefing. Apparently, he uh, hates <laughs> McMaster because McMaster's boring. Like his, right. he's like, this guy's always trying to teach me about Libya. 
Right. So they're they're down to like one bullet point and a cartoon. It's like the your button is so huge. And then he takes uh, an hour and a half lunch break. We got um, lunch. I mean, that's just nutrition. Where he um, eats cheeseburgers and drinks Diet Coke. Um, and then he spends three or four hours having what is called executive time, which is him sitting in the break room, not in the Oval Office, um, watching television, eating snacks, making phone calls, and tweeting. Not like work phone calls, though. It's like him calling his friends, being like, isn't it so unfair how they're not being, like, right. not celebrating how big I am and strong and powerful? And then and he then ends... being like, you can't say that stuff on this line. It's not secure. Right. And then he has, like, an afternoon meeting for about 15 or 20 minutes. This and... is him eating a snack, the afternoon meeting. Right. <laughs> I gotta go meet with my, uh, with my, uh, Twizzlers. Right. <laughs> Um, and uh, and then his day is over, and he goes That's back to the residence, and about. and he watches uh, the Gorilla Channel, and that is not real. I just want to make <laughs> sure everyone knows because it's so believable. It, actually, Vice News has put together a Gorilla Channel, so it's sort of real now. <laughs> um, but it is true. Uh, Netflix wants you to stop calling them and asking them if they carry the Gorilla Channel. So Netflix doesn't even carry do channels. That. Apparently people are calling them and asking them if they have the Gorilla Channel. I mean, there's got to be some Gorilla-type documentary. You know, they feel like they if it's a niche, they could recognize it. We're getting a little bit off the thing here. Um, Trump is terrible at this. I was thinking about how, like, I'll bet his life hasn't changed at all. Like, he had to move, which he complained about vociferously. But I'll bet this is exactly what he did when he was in New York, just like watching TV. Well, more TV. people are mad at him now. Things used to go smoothly. He's and gone now national. Everything's like the, a battle. The yeah. contempt and hatred my, we felt for him in New York is now shared by everybody. My, my favorite part of what I have read of uh, Fire and Fury is how angry he was on the day of his inauguration, cool. mostly because celebrities weren't showing up to support him, but also because he got talked into staying at Blair House, which is the... Um, the official guest residence. Isn't that um, like the normal place to stay? It is. Um, that is where the president-elect is supposed to stay before the inauguration because the former president doesn't move out until the new president is inaugurated. Um, but Trump wanted to stay in his hotel in Washington. Um, and I don't know. It well, was somehow he impressed knows where all the him. cameras are there, but who knows where the cameras are in the Blair House? But his complaint about... Blair House was that the bed was uncomfortable, Aww. the water pressure was bad, oh, poor and, baby. and there wasn't enough hot water. Um, isn't that like, Express. this soup is terrible and there's not enough of it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's it just like... and uh, He usually uh, seems like such a delight. Yeah. yeah also, didn't I, he make I, Melania cry? Like, Oh, yeah. Well, they she were was having a fight. All, she was already crying because he had promised her that he wasn't going to win. Because she she was married to Donald Trump. <laughs> she was like, it's not worth it. But as you say, I don't think it's that different from um, how they were living previously because they, I mean, they have separate bedrooms. Um, she attends to their child who I don't think he's really aware of. I'm worried for that young man, Baron. Um, Baron. He seems yeah. to live a very strange life. Hope, yeah, I'm not sure it's gotten any stranger. I really. hope he's getting like. I hope somebody's uh, like there's a librarian or something that he can talk to, like some kindly person yeah. who will help him like adjust to 
things because his family situation is completely crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I I feel he badly seems for like him he could be well, like but... a nice young man, except I'm okay. you know in the environment he's in, he's gonna turn into one of these Eric or Donald Jr. like troglodytic losers. Well, we found out this week as well that that Eric does not share his father's uh, distaste for the Mexican people um, because he celebrated his birthday in Mexico um, and was photographed uh, enjoying wearing a a giant sombrero. Eating a Um, a delicious taco bowl. Yeah. You're saying Um, racists have never celebrated an event in Mexico wearing a giant sombrero? I was being sarcastic. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Remember when Jeb was selling a guacamole bowl for like 50 bucks <laughs> as part of his campaign swag? Remember that time people spent mean, like hundreds of Jeb? millions of dollars on Jeb? <laughs> <laughs> we should we should make swag that has a question mark. Like Jeb? Well, uh, Trump is a kind of he, he 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 told his audience to stand up uh, a couple days ago. It was kind of was a sort of a please clap type moment. Didn't he tell some people that he met with some farmers or something and he told them they should enjoy the privilege that he was giving them that they could have voted for him or something? Yes, he he congratulated them and said that they should be more appreciative of the fact that he had allowed them the opportunity to have voted for him. It's like not everybody is Mike Pence. Like someone should tell him that there are people who have a little bit of self-respect still. Not many, (laughs) but but there are a few. Um, Trump is, is mad, um, about a lot of things. We can just do that every week. Like Trump is mad blank. And then just like, what is it this time? Well, we had a particularly, uh, good Trump tweet storm that came out and no one was quite sure why. And then it, it became clear that it was because of the, uh, the imminent publishing of this Michael Wolf book, um, you know, where Trump compared, uh, his non-existent, um, nuclear button on his desk, the size of it, to Kim Jong Un's. Uh, I mean, that was really that was really great. I mean, um, uh, it, I think it's really terrific that we're um, making nuclear threats using uh, sexual euphemisms and uh, on and so on on Twitter. He said, "Oh, are you happy you voted for me? You are so lucky that I gave you that privilege." That's what he said to these to his audience. <laughs> He's a he's a deeply intelligent man. He's a shithead. Um, <laughs> As we learned a few a days genius. later, when he tweeted yeah. out that he was a very stable genius. Oh, but I yeah. well, I want to I want to get a hit in on the on the my button is pulsating and immense yeah. and ready to go off <laughs> and all over all of you motherfuckers. <laughs> like, my button grows every moment and it's, is it's, veined. It's, it was a penis. Could, it was like, engorged. Kim, he was, was Kim Jong Un was like I've got he was like I've got a nuclear button. On my desk. Threaten us. And which Trump, like, the I don't know, the right response, as with all bullying idiots, is to not engage. But instead, Trump was like, well, if you, my button is enormous and, like, very powerful and it works. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> this is not going to work the way that you, like, whatever you thought you were going to accomplish, you just made everybody think that you have uh, impotence. And a small penis. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe if he had uh, tweeted it from like a Ford F one fifty with like a no raised... one with hands that big. And can, I, can honestly, I found that less concerning than when he went on a tirade describing himself as a very stable genius. I, 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 if I had to choose one, I would say the nuclear war threat one was more disturbing. 
they were both quite disturbing. It's the combination to me. It's it's like if yeah. you have someone who's like bragging about the size of their nuclear button, at least you want them to maybe actually be stable. Or be at least be of average be intelligence. If, <laughs> what stable person would ever tweet that? What stable person would be using Twitter as their main platform as president? And then of course the the main fallout of all of this for the moment anyway, we, you know, there's always Don't say chance. fallout that we could have nu- actual nuclear fallout um, is the demise of of uh, Steve Bannon um, well, at Breitbart. I mean, though, like, prof- career, he's not dead. No, not yet. I actually he's think of him dead. as more of, like, a flesh suit that's inhabited by some demon. But, like, yeah. as far as we know, he's as alive as he was before. He committed career suicide, though. Um, well, he talked to Michael Wolff about this book, and he just shot all over everybody, which doesn't well, surprise me at all, because he seems... like he shot on Trump and Trump's family, I think. That was the real cardinal sin. <laughs> oh, no. Like, that's... They're all complete idiots. But he made the mistake of telling a journalist that on the record. Or possibly not on the record, well, but he printed Michael it Wolf. anyway. I mean, the record is what it is. Uh, Bannon has not denied saying any of these things. No, and of course they're clearly true. It's just like all these things where it comes out that like a, that whoever... Like, who was it that called Trump a moron? Was that um Tillerson? H.R. McMaster. Like a fucking idiot. Tillerson. It's like, they never have to deny it, because it's obviously true. Like, of, of course Trump is an unhinged lunatic. We can all see Did that. He... Do you think Bannon just made the mistake of thinking that he was the mastermind and the Mercers would back him and therefore it didn't really matter what he said? I don't said? think it was so much that. I think Bannon is just really arrogant. And so I don't think he yeah. like went as far down the road as what you're saying. I think he was just enjoying like ripping into the people around him to sort of show off how smart and powerful and great he was and how like they were all below him. And I think he legitimately really hates Jared Kushner and Ivanka. I mean, and, who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> and so he was only too happy to rip on them. I do think he miscalculated the power dynamic a little bit. Mm. Oh, you know, or the other theory is that he he thought of himself as having a separate. You know, that he was like, "I'll do this job for a while, and I'll go do something else." Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think he thought that he always had Breitbart too. Um, and it, it's an interesting it uh, irony, because I think, wasn't it true. today or yesterday that he was officially let go from Breitbart? Yeah, yeah. Be- because the Mercers pulled out their money, more or less. Well, the Mercers are the owners of this whole thing. I mean, they're when you come down to it, they're actually much worse than, than Bannon is. Cause they're they're the it. worst of all, because they decided to install all these monstrous people so that they could get their giant tax cut, and it worked. I've become... An increasing fan of uh, Steve Schmidt. I thought you were going to say Karl Marx, but no, do yours. Uh, Steve Steve Schmidt, the um, the former campaign manager of uh, for John McCain in two thousand eight, um, and he worked in in the George W. Bush White House, and he's been oh well, he sounds like a great guy. Yeah, I I don't think that he and I would agree very much on policy, um, but he he's been an ardent never trumper um and more to the point he has called out the the republican party on their um on their rank horrendous behavior um which you know he he's described as as treasonous and um uh, and he uses much better language than i do too um, little too late anybody who worked for w is not someone i care about 
well, it's 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 not that I care about him particularly, but I he, he gets to the heart of the matter, which is, uh, you know, why why are the Republicans continuing, not only continuing to support Trump, but I know the, why the longer the that this, he knows. the longer that this goes on, it seems that they're they're hugging him all the closer, um, and you know they got their tax cut. Um, and there were a lot of people who predicted that once they got their tax cut, they would they would get rid of them. And in fact, they seem to only uh, only becoming uh, closer to him, a la you know Lindsey Graham. I have and, no patience for that kind of disingenuous, Repu- you know, Republicans being like, "Oh no, like what we're going too far with all this." You know, they they did they did this to themselves. They created a base of insane people. And now they've they've lost control of the monster that they created, and if they own, they have no choice; they have to follow it, and hope well, that they I can gerrymander. I, 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 I don't agree with that. Earlier. They are, you know, they, they are a co-equal branch of government. Wait, they the Republicans are a co-equal branch. The Republicans of government? in no, Congress, by uh, according to the Constitution, no, the Congress is, are. but Republican that has nothing. I'm to talking do with about the Republicans party. in Congress. And I, you know, I understand why uh, to save their own skin for electorally, um, they go along with it. But at, as a co-equal branch of government, they have an ethical obligation to oh, do something so about this. You don't have to convince me, and I'm just trying to tell you my take on why they're not performing that function. And it's because they're more afraid of getting primaried than they are of the anything else. Police. But why are they? Why are they? becoming even more pro-Trump I just said, after, why, the, ta- after the tax cut. Because Trump controls the majority of their base voters. And so you don't, you don't think that getting they, they feel that getting the tax cut that they can sell that to their voters at, at all without him? I don't think their voters care about policy. This was the weakness that they created. Their their voter, they tried to have it both ways, where they were like, we'll use the racial demagoguing to excite people, and then we'll switch over and do the neocon agenda when we're in power. And they did that for a long time. But then Trump came along and recognized that the that the if the voters had to choose, they would choose the racial demagoguery over everything else. And so now I think he has more trust on that front than anyone else. So they can't well, so afford they're... to turn against him because he'll because he'll tell the base. The only the, evidence the base... against the thing I'm saying is that he endorsed Luther Strange. Like it's not clear if even Trump has any control over these people. And then and he endorsed Roy Moore after he endorsed Luther Strange. I think the endorsement of Roy Moore and Joe Trippi said this on a podcast where I heard him. He said that Trump's endorsement actually did help Roy Moore. It probably did. No, I mean, he, he, from Trippy's point of view, he said if if Trump had done that rally like two days later, Roy Moore would have won because of the timing. It it gave the, a bump. Well, that is a scary thought, right? But that's what I'm saying is that Trump has a emotional bond with the base of Republican primary voters. And that's I mean, what it's about. It's about the emotional yeah, bond. Exactly. They don't care at all about it's it's the in group solidarity. It's the it's the commitment to winning, whatever that means. So you're saying now they've got the tax cut, so we're gonna say, Okay, so now cut him loose. But if they try to cut him loose, he can cause them to be cut loose by telling his voters. I guess I guess what I don't understand is I mean, so you I imagine that the we've already seen a record number of retirements. 
Yeah, um, I think that's the what they're house, doing. Right? I think that's, that's the concept. So, so Daryl Issa, who announced that he's not going to be running for re-election He was never going to win his race. No, he, he wasn't in it, but it's still good that he's retiring because now the Democrats don't have to spend any money in, in that race. Um, and they can spread it out to places where it's more needed. Um, he's the 30th member of in the House among Republicans to uh, retire. The previous record was 29, and obviously we're still in January, so there's plenty of room for more retirements. Um, and presumably many, if not all, of those uh, retirees are, um, are doing it because they don't want to be associated with Trump and... Um, I, I would imagine at least a certain number of them. Don't you think it's mostly because either their elections look like they're going to lose them or that they're going to be too hard and they don't want to have, you know, these guys are just like, it's not worth it to try to win an election when there's a wave coming. No, and particularly if they have to defend Trump in the process. I don't know. They don't seem to have had that much trouble... I feel like it's well, giving them a lot of credit to, to we're sort of giving them that one for free where we're like, even though they've supported all his policies, surely they're disgusted by Trump. And I'm like, I don't know. They haven't given any signs so far. I mean, you do have a, a fair point there. So, I mean, I'm um, not prepared to give them that credit. Um, but so my question is like, I, I understand everything that you've said about the, like the zero sum electoral politics but like at, at what point, as just a human being, do you have to forget about that bullshit and be like, we have got a crazy, deluded monster in the White House? Why you're asking me? Got... Ask them. Ask Paul Ryan. Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm not asking you. I'm, I'm. It's a rhetorical question, really. Um, but it, where it's more important to speak out and act out against that than. Um, than to worry about your electoral chances, and I'll I'll pose the same question to um, to Democrats and people on the left, You're like wh why, and I think I know the answer to this, but wh why are we not seeing, um, and I'll include the three of us in, in this even, um, wh why are we not seeing people in the streets the way that we did before um, the Iraq War? Um, I mean, it, it, this is certainly as serious, if not a more serious situation um, than that, and. I, you know, I think it's mostly just because of news fatigue, um, but uh, you know, I, I'd be curious to get um, your guys' take on that. People have been in the streets. Uh, that's my take on it. And they sort of, it's it's dropped down a little bit. News fatigue has fatigue the coverage of it well the women's march is People doing their the anniversary march on they're January doing another 21st. one yeah like i also am suspicious of the utility of people being in the street it's it's like and what, right well that's you know, the what like, we need to do right now it, is have people run for office have people raise yeah. money for people running well, that for is definitely office. the most important that's the real in the streets is is being in the streets people knocking people's doors and running people for making office phone calls people yeah. volunteering you know that's and so because those are the outcomes that we can we can get you know, well, there's if, a place we, for all of it. Yeah. Being in the streets, like the Women's March, is to build the solidarity and the group and the visible support for doing the next thing, which is it also puts getting pressure which is, on elected officials. I d I'm not sure I agree with that. It I puts mean, pressure on Democrat elected officials. 
Don't do that. Say democratic. Don't be like them. Yeah. Use use correct language. Democratic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the people who don't represent those people don't give a rat's ass what they think. I think it's pretty clear that the Republicans in Congress are not vulnerable to pressure. Yeah, yeah. They're like, so we are so they need to be fired and replaced with better elected officials. <laughs> well, that is certainly true, and, and uh, we have seen some of the fruits of of special elections and local elections already. Um, do you guys see in Washington State where Democrats took uh, control of all three parts of uh, government there? Mm-hmm. Um, the the voting reform. Um, initiatives that have already been um, put up in the state house, like uh, automatic voter registration, same day voter registration, um, you know, paper trails for voting, um, nice. et cetera, et cetera. All all things that we are very much in favor of. My big fear now is that people are going to think republic. I mean, people are going to think that we can take the Senate and the House back from the Republicans, and then they're going to be really disappointed when we only take the House. But um, I mean, let that be our worst problem. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say that wouldn't wouldn't be a terrible outcome. Uh, I mean, I, I I think it's true. The the, the Senate is gonna, gonna be a real uphill climb. I mean, it's I, I don't think this it is the worst been... Senate map any party has yeah. faced in a hundred years. I don't think it would have been possible without the upset win in Alabama. Um, so it's not like totally impossible, but it's um. It would a help lot of people if are... Joe Arpaio was the Senate candidate yeah. because he's very he's like a Roy Moore type. <laughs> I mean, there there are some wild cards like Tennessee, um, uh, where we have a a fairly popular uh, former governor running, and it's if he you know he run and ends up running against Marsha Blackburn, then we might actually have a chance to win. My biggest Um, hope is that Beto O'Rourke beats Ted Cruz because I hate Ted Cruz. (laughs) Right there with he's just horrible, and everybody else hates him too, even Republicans. Um. But yeah, I mean, the, right now, I mean, obviously there's a lot of time between now and November, but right now it seems like Democrats really ought to win the House. And if we can't win the House, I, God That's not, knows what's going to happen to us. Can I, I'm not going to try to interrupt, I did interrupt you, I can't take that back, but I'm not going to try to tell you what to say, but I would say that as we should do everything we can to win the House and the Senate, and there's a reason to be optimistic about the House. That's a very reasonable way of putting it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm very sensitive to the way that I feel like in the Democratic Party, people get very excited. They're like, you know, if we just get out there and vote, it's all going to get fixed. And then that keeps not happening. Even like, you know, Obama barely, he he did some reform to health care. He did the stimulus bill, but it wasn't enough for people to feel like it, they needed to go do more voting. We need to find a better way to engage in like an ongoing way rather than an sort of epical way where it's like you're gonna you have to vote right now and fix everything um what are you guys gonna be looking at um in the you know over the next week or two i'm looking to see whether Mueller gets a chance to interview trump there's yeah they've started I mean, I, their elegant dance of I, courtship I, what about you guys um i guess i'm looking to see whether democrats keep up their sort of action out of frustration like release like a uh, Feinstein releasing her uh what she released 
Uh, the Fusion GPS transcripts. Yeah, and the 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 other thing that got re- the Senate Intelligence Report. Yeah, from the Democrats only. So I want to see what the Democrats continue to do. Andrew kind of stole my thunder there. That was also Aww. that's my thing. That's what I do. Yeah. That was all. That was also what I was going to be looking well, at. Think of another so one. I will. I'm going to focus on just carefully studying the news over the next week so that I can. Oh my god! Um, boring. I can tell so everyone can... who I think the biggest asshole was. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got to talk about that. I'm not sure I'm in love with it as a way to open the show. Be like, welcome to our show. And you know what? <laughs> Fuck yeah, it's this really. Stu- it's really the closer. We should we should build and or build like to we that. should stop recording and then have Ben do it. <laughs> I don't know. I think Susan Collins has been a real oh, asshole. Come on. I I know you agree with me. That's a very Trump thing to say. <laughs> it's like he's like I know it and you know it. <laughs> no, I Everyone's don't think if you're asking it. me who the biggest asshole of the last week is, it's not Susan Collins. I didn't say she was the biggest asshole. I just said she is an asshole. I wish we could roll the tape, because I'm sure that's what you said. I may have said biggest (laughs) asshole. That wasn't Trump. Yeah. Biggest non-Trump asshole. Biggest asshole of the last week that wasn't Trump, Ryan Zinke. Because of how he allows Rick Scott to not have Florida get coastal drilling... Because he's like, we got to take local voices into account. And then, like, the governors of all the other coastal states are like, wait, what about, I didn't want you to do the drilling. What about my local voice? And he was like, no comment. So well, yeah. they want Rick Scott to run for Senate. I know. I understand that. But I'm saying, if you're asking me who the biggest asshole is. Well, I, was, I wasn't sure that all of our listeners were aware of the content. We're going to end with you insulting our listeners. <laughs> That's a good, this is going great. <laughs> all right, dumb listeners. Enjoy your coloring books. Thanks for listening to Sanity Check. Make sure to join us again next week, and if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes at the Google Play Store or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. And in the meantime, keep resisting and persisting. I was like, we don't need to worry about that if they like what they heard. <laughs>